Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to New Hope Church. We're so glad that you're joining us, whether you're here in person or online. We're so glad that you are here with us tonight. And if you're here, we just want to continue to remind you that we are still doing our social, our safety protocols. So please wear your mask during worship because it doesn't matter about the mask. It matters about our heart as we praise the Lord. Amen. And so we're going to come together. And before we do that, there's, there's something I want to read to us in Psalms 100. And you know, we know that there's a lot of things happening in the world today. But this is what it says in Psalms 100. It says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. That's why we can praise him. So would you join us as we stand and as we praise and worship our Lord, our God.
praise you and our praise for you is going to continue to go on and on Lord because Lord you your love endures forever so let our praise continue to be lifted unto you
spirit sound, rushing wind, fire of God fall within. Holy Ghost, breathe on us, we pray. As we repent, turn from sin, revival embers smoldering. Breath of God, friend us into flames. Cause we need a fresh wind, the fragrance of heaven.
you're saying you need that in your marriage. Maybe you're saying you need that for your family. Maybe you're saying you need that for your workplace. Maybe you're saying that you need that for the community. Maybe you're saying that we need this in this world, that Holy Spirit, we need you to be poured out on every square inch of this place, on every square inch of our lives. The Lord is willing. The Lord wants to do it. He's just waiting for the sons and daughters, the redeemed, to ask so that we can be received. So wherever you are right now, would you ask him? Pour your spirit out. Pour your spirit out. Yes, Lord. Pour your spirit out. Lord, that is our prayer right now. As we continue to worship you with our lives, as we continue to praise you for all our days, Lord, we continue to cry out, pour your spirit out over our hearts, over our minds, over our souls and our bodies, over our marriages, over our families over your people, over your world. We need you, Lord. Thank you for loving us and coming because you love us, to save us, to redeem us, to rescue us. May your wind continue to fill the hearts and souls of your people. In Jesus' name, and we all said, Amen. We're so glad that you are joining us tonight. Before you have a seat, go ahead. You can, for those of you who are online, go ahead in the comments. You guys can say welcome. For those of you who are here, you can throw shakas or wave hi. And we're going to get ready for Pastor Lindsay to come up and pray for our tithes and offerings. And we're so glad that you're joining us here in person, as well as for those of you who are online. Well, thank you, Pastor Ben and the worship team. We are so glad that you guys are here. Welcome. Welcome to everyone here and everyone online. Thanks for joining us tonight. Um, you know, I get the privilege of praying for our tithes and offerings. And as I was thinking about this um, today, a friend of ours gave our boys money, okay? Don't ever do this. But they gave our boys money, okay? <laughs> and it was fun to watch what happens. Like, people have given them money before, but, like, sent it in cards and stuff. So they've never actually, like, seen it, you know? Like, we, I mean, we don't keep it. We, like, buy them things. And, you know, don't think I'm a terrible parent. But anyway, so they got money. They got cash, right? And I watched our boys 
receive this and take it out of the envelope. And I kind of was watching what they were doing. And so our oldest one, he takes it out and he says, thank you to the person who gave it to him, right? And then he runs. I said, what are you going to do with it? And he runs into his room and he gets his jar that he keeps his money in. Okay, all the money he gets from all the teeth that he loses and the coins that he finds, right? So he gets his jar, he puts his money inside. And then I watch our three-year-old. Okay, so our three-year-old opens the envelope and he's like, oh, money, right? And he's like, five and 20. Like he sees the money and then I watch what he does. I'm like so curious, okay, what is he gonna do with it, right? And he takes it and as our older son is like opening his his jar, our little one comes running, folds his money up and like puts it inside. And I laughed only because I'm like, huh, he just like contributed to his brother's jar. Like he doesn't know, like, bro, that's not your money. Like, you know, he just put his money in someone else's jar and he just gave it so willingly and didn't even think about it. Right. And I was thinking about this and I thought, huh, he did it because his brother did it. He saw his brother do it, right? And sometimes when it comes to tithes and offerings, that's what we do. We do it because we see other people do it and we just think, oh, that's what we do. You know, this is, we give, this is what we do. We go to church, we love Jesus, we give money. And without really understanding, right? He did it because he's following. And then like later on, I thought about it and I was like, oh, maybe he did it because he doesn't realize the value of the money he had, right? He doesn't realize, oh, I could have bought like 20 Hot Wheels, you know, or I could have bought like some really cool like Nerf gun or water gun or something, you know, he doesn't know, right? Because he doesn't understand the value of money. And sometimes when it comes to our tithes and offerings, it's hard for us because we understand the value of money. We understand the value of money. We understand the necessity of it. And so sometimes it is hard for us to give because of that. And as I was thinking about it, you know, as I watched him do this, I was just so challenged. I was challenged by it because I thought, oh man, Lord, I wonder if that's how we are sometimes. We don't understand what we're doing, but we do it willingly, which is cool, you know, but we don't really understand. And so as we um, pray for our tithes and offerings, I want to challenge us with a few things. My son, my older son, when he first got it, he stopped and he said, thank you. And as we give, when we have this time of offering and giving, we have an opportunity to pause and remember where the source of our money comes from. Yes, we work hard for our paychecks and all of that, but ultimately the source of our money and our sustenance and our provision comes from our Heavenly Father. And tithing is an opportunity to stop and pause and thank Him. Thank Him for that and recognize that because it's easy for us to forget. I don't know about you, but I can think about myself a lot during the day, you know, and like check comes in like, yeah, I did that. But the reality is, is that he did that, right? So tithes and offering, it gives us an opportunity to stop and pause and thank him. And also it's an opportunity to partner with him. It's so cool. We get to partner with him, just like my son partnered with his brother and gave him $25, you know? Like we get to partner with the Lord and watch what he's gonna do with that money. Like he t- he's gonna take it And we get to be a part of his work on earth and him reaching people here on earth. And that is one of the coolest things. And so tithes and offerings is also an opportunity to say, God, we just want to partner with you. We thank you, Lord, we're putting you first and we're thanking you and we're partnering and we're stoked to see what's going to happen with it. And so would you um, bow your heads with me and we're going to pray for our tithes and offerings tonight. Jesus, we thank you so much. God, we just pause right now and we acknowledge that you are our ultimate provider, that you provide for our every need. God, you are the source of everything. And so thank you. We thank you, Lord. God, as we give tonight, as we give online or as we put our tithes and offerings in that box, God, may we just take a second to pause before you and remember. And God, we also say thank you. Thank you for allowing us to partner with you. You don't need our money by any means. But God, you allow us to partner with you so that your work here on earth may be accomplished, so that your kingdom can be furthered here on earth. Man, God, thank you for that privilege. Thank you for an opportunity like that. 
So God, tonight as we give, we say, Lord, here is the money. God, would you have your way? Would you do what only you can do? Would you use it to further your kingdom? Would you use it to make yourself famous, to make yourself known? God, would you use it to magnify yourself? God, we love you so much. Thank you for who you are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The storm pummeling the area with gusts topping 140 miles an hour, ripping off roofs in seconds and leaving homes shredded. But containment on the 156,000-acre fire remains at 19%, and the flames have burned over more than 600 structures. It's now the second largest wildfire in state history. People are literally clinging on to U.S. military aircrafts as they try to take off. At Kabul airport this morning, these may be among the last Afghans getting out. The United States and partners from around the world are scrambling to take out thousands more Afghans by Tuesday. COVID hospitalizations are rising across the country as the U.S. battles the Delta variant. The country is now on pace to potentially surpass peak hospitalizations. The U.S. is now averaging 156,000 new daily cases of coronavirus. As daily admissions climb, hospitals across the country are running out of ICU beds, especially in the South. See, I think that we can all agree that this has been a wild year and a half. And just about the time that we could see the end of the tunnel for COVID, the Delta variant came along and messed things up again. Not to mention what's happening in Afghanistan. One of the biggest fires in the Big Island history, as well as wildfires in other areas, a devastating earthquake in Haiti, and Hurricane Ida. It's enough to make you ask, God, are you even there? See, we know people right now who are asking that question. Or maybe we're the ones wondering. We may be saying, God, do you see what's going on? Do you see all the chaos? Do you know what we're feeling and thinking? Or you have friends that are saying, if God is real, then why all the bad things? Can't God, if he's real, stop all this evil? Or maybe it's us. Maybe we're personalizing it and asking, God, don't you care about me? I'm doing all the right things. I'm reading my Bible. I'm here in church or online. I'm praying. See, we tend to blame God when everything's go wrong. God, why can't you fix this? And this is not new to our generation. King David, whom God called a man after his own heart, wrote these words. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And even one of King David's worship leaders, Asaph, he wrote, Oh God, why have you rejected us forever? Why does your anger smolder against the sheep of your pasture? And we all remember Jeremiah, the prophet who promised us that God knows the plans he has for us, that all his plans are for good. He wrote, Why do you forget us forever? Why do you leave us alone for so long? And you know what? I've been guilty of this. There have been times in my life when I've prayed and prayed and prayed about a situation. And to be totally honest, what I prayed and prayed and prayed for was the outcome that I wanted. And then when God didn't come through with the thing I wanted, with what I expected, then I sounded just like King David, Asaph, or Jeremiah. Where are you, God? Don't you care? Didn't you hear what I asked for? Now, am I the only one who asked those questions? Because I'm sure you do. But let's be honest. Many times, when we complain to or about God, 
It's because he didn't meet our expectations. We go to the one who created all that we can see, who formed the earth, all the planets, who formed creation in the universe beyond what we can see, who formed man out of the dust, picked him up, breathed his breath into him, and gave him life. And we go to this God and we cry, where are you? Because God didn't do what I wanted or expected. And the funny thing is, the very first time that this question was asked, it was reversed. See, in the Garden of Eden, after God had created man, after he breathed his own breath into him, after God had established a habit of walking with man in the cool of the day, after Adam and Eve disobeyed God, after they felt shame, they hid. And in the cool of the day, God came looking for them. And he called out, where are you? But he knew where they were. They weren't lost. They were hiding. And when God asked, where are you? He wanted them to know that even though they felt shame, even though they were hiding, that he was looking for them, that he wanted to be with them. See, God's question was a question of restoration. Come out of hiding. I'm here. I can help you fix this. God looks for us because he loves us and he can direct us, lead us, guide us, and help us. And oftentimes, we ask the same question, but we ask it with a different heart. Where are you? God intended that question as a step towards reconciliation, towards putting together a broken relationship. But we turn it into a complaint about God, and then we use it to move away from him. But we don't have to stay there. See, God never intended, us, intended for us, his children, to be separated from him. So what do we do when we find ourselves in that place? When we realize that we have a complaining spirit or attitude. And tonight I want to look at three things that we can do so that we can move back towards God when we feel that he's absent. Now if you're online, or if you're here and you have your Bibles or your phones, we're going to be in the book of Habakkuk, and you can turn there if you want. And Habakkuk's actually in the Old Testament, and if you go to the end of the Old Testament, it's four books back. But as you're turning there, let me set it up for you. Habakkuk probably lived at the end of King Josiah's reign, and at the very beginning of Je um, King Jehoiakim's. He was a contemporary of the prophet Jeremiah. Now Israel was under the rule of the Assyrians at this time, but God gave Habakkuk a prophecy that Babylon was going to come in and invade Assyria. He would overthrow the Assyrian kingdom and that the Jewish nation would be carried off into captivity into Babylon. And when God revealed the prophecy to Habakkuk, he told him that he would see this fulfilled in his days. So Habakkuk would see this all happen. And it's good to know, as you're reading through your Bible, that both Jeremiah and Habakkuk prophesied about Israel being carried off into captivity. So at this point, the nation of Israel is in a very bad place. And because of their continued rebellion and refusal to follow God's ways, God allowed the Assyrians to defeat the Israelites and to bring them under its jurisdiction. And Habakkuk, like so many others, found it unfair. And he challenged God and he asked the same questions that we ask. Why is life so unfair? Why are the wicked succeeding? So if you're open to Habakkuk, look with me. Starting in chapter 1, we're going to be at verse 2. And Habakkuk says, How long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife 
and conflict abounds. See, Habakkuk starts out with a complaint. He wants to know why God is not punishing wrongdoing and evil. He says, I'm crying out to you, but you aren't doing anything. And then he continues in verse 12. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why, then, do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? So he continues his complaint first by reminding God who God is. And then he questioned the fairness of God choosing to remain silent while the wicked prevail. He wants to know, how is it possible that God tolerates the treacherous and remains silent while the wicked destroy people better than them? But Habakkuk doesn't stay in a complaining mode. He shifts into a learning mode. And he said this, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. So he didn't stay in complaining. He chose to put himself in position to hear God and to wait for an answer. Now this year as I read through my Bible, I'm actually reading through what's, um, the complete Jewish Bible. And when I came to this verse, I was caught by the translation. It says this, I will stand on my watch post. I will station myself on the rampart. I will look to see what God will say through me and what I will answer when I am reproved. See, while allowing himself to be honest with God and to even ask, where are you? He also remained teachable. And while being teachable, he expected to be corrected. He voiced his complaint to God, and then he waited for an adjustment to his own perspective, which leads to our first step. If you're taking notes, when we want to move from shifting from complaining about God to moving closer to him, the first thing is put away my expectation. See, I don't know about you, but there are times when I feel entitled. I deserve special treatment from God. I've been a Christian for over 30 years. I've been serving about that long. I'm basically a good person. I read my Bible. I pray, and I should get brownie points because I actually pray for other people. I have a good relationship with my family and friends, and I love God and love others. So, you know, when I have a concern or a need, I should move to the front of the line. But we all know that's not how it works. In fact, Jesus gave this instruction. He said to his followers, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. See, we expect God to bless those who follow him. And at the same time, we think that he doesn't bless those who don't follow him, and then if he does, it certainly is not fair that he did. Yet Jesus is clear that both the evil and the good receive God's blessings. We just don't expect that. And maybe it's just me, but I've been known to grumble or complain when God doesn't do what I expect him to. And when I complain like that, it reveals an issue of my heart. It reveals something that needs to be adjusted. See, I forget that I have a very limited view, and I only understand so much. But God, that's a whole different story. And he reminds us, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. See, in those moments when God doesn't move the way that I expect him to, I get to remember 
that he sees far more than I can see, that he understands far more than I can understand, and that he knows more than I ever will, and that God, because he's God, moves outside of my limited expectations. See, my expectations are limited to what's here and now. But God's expectations are bigger because he sees way beyond that. And not only does God see beyond my limited expectations, but he sees me. God knows me now, and he knows what I'm becoming. He sees what I encounter, and he sees my heart. And I'm not alone because God sees me. So when I say, God, where are you? He's here. I'm not alone. Number two, trust that God sees me. See, in the Old Testament, there's an account of a woman who felt alone, rejected, and unseen. Her feelings certainly weren't considered when decisions concerning her life, her body, and her future were made. She was property, and her life was at the whim and the disposal of others. Her name is Hagar. And you can find her story in the Old Testament book of Genesis, starting in chapter 16. But I'll give you a condensed version. She belonged to Sarah, who was the wife of Abraham. Now, years before, God had told Abraham, you're going to have a son. In fact, you're going to have so many descendants that when you look at the stars, and you can't even count them, and that's what your descendants are going to be like. You won't even be able to count them. Now, Abraham's wife, Sarah, like Abraham, were old, and she felt that she was beyond childbearing age. In fact, once, when she heard an angel reminding Abraham about the promise that God made, Sarah laughed. And when the promise didn't happen on Sarah's timetable, she came up with a brilliant idea. I'm going to take my maidservant, my slave, and I'm going to give her into Abraham's hands so that he can have a baby with her. And that way, I can help along the promise of God. Now, as a side note, when God makes a promise, he doesn't need our help. He needs us to just slow our roll and just wait, because on his timetable, it will come to pass. But we'll move on. Not only did Hagar become pregnant because of this decision, but she became arrogant. And with Abraham's full knowledge, Sarah began to mistreat Hagar harshly. She mistreated her so harshly that Hagar ran away. But she didn't have a plan. All she did was leave. And it was at this point that the angel of the Lord who many scholars believe was a physical appearance of God himself, spoke to Hagar. And he said to her, the, Lord, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my, from my mistress Sarai, she answered. So when the angel of the Lord addressed Hagar, he was specific. He called her by name, Hagar. He called her by her status, slave of Sarai. There was no doubt that this was not an accident. The angel of the Lord purposed to speak to Hagar. And his question was a gentle reminder of her precarious position. He said, where have you come from? She was a runaway slave. She had nothing to her name, and she was in the middle of nowhere. Where are you going? She had no plans, and she only knew that she left. So the angel of, of the Lord continued speaking to her. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. And the angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son, and you shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man, and his hand will be against everyone. And everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. Now she had told the angel of the Lord, I'm running away from Sarai. 
And he tells her to go back and submit. And I can imagine what she must have felt at that moment. Go back? Return to that? Do you know what I just left? I fled all of that. But then the angel of the Lord continued and he gave her hope. You're pregnant. You're going to have a son. You're going to name him Ishmael. The Lord has seen and heard your misery. And because God heard her and gave her hope, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. I have now seen the one who sees me. Hagar recognized she wasn't alone. She wasn't rejected. She wasn't invisible. She was seen. She had a destiny. She was valued. And isn't that something we all want to know? When we're crying out, where are you, God? Don't we just want to know that he sees us? Simon Thomas, in an article on the value of being seen, said this, everyone needs to know that what they say or the very fact of their being is important to somebody. The heart longs for a human embrace, for the attentive ear of another who shows some interest in being with them and listening to what they say. Psychological research has shown that when people are perpetually in a situation where they are ignored, this causes real emotional pain, and that in turn will cause physical problems caused by the stress of being ignored on an ongoing basis. Human beings are made imago Dei, in the image of God. We were created to interact and communicate. We were made to live in community and not in isolation. To be human is to share in the common human experience and to live in such a way that we acknowledge one another and not allow our many distractions to detract from how we relate to one another. See, we have a deep psychological need to be seen. And that is what God spoke to when he saw Hagar and when he revealed himself to her. And she felt that and she acknowledged it. I have seen the one who sees me. And that's something we all want to know. When we cry out to God, where are you? We want to know. Do you see this? Do you see what's going on? Do you see me? But God not only sees us, he looks for us. Now, I read a lot, like a lot. And sometimes I'll read something, and it's so cool, I'm gonna, I'll copy it, and I'll paste it. And I pasted this thing, and what I wasn't smart enough to do was paste who wrote it and said it. So I'm going to read this to you, and I, it wasn't me, I'm not this smart. And if you want to look it up, I'm really sorry, I don't know who said it. But they said this, life is complicated, and friendship with God does not make life less complicated. And as I get older, I realize that I would not have it any other way. Internally, I sometimes wish that life would be perfect rather than just occasionally good. But I think it's a mistake to presume that a perfect world would be better than a free world. Love needs a place to live and grow and prove itself, and that can only happen when tragedy is possible. Still, sometimes love, life is too much to bear. Occasionally, an extreme circumstance interjects itself into your life, and your live, laugh, love sign proves to be more absurd than it normally does. I have a sign. It hangs on my heart, and it goes like this. Have mercy on God. Forgive me if this offends you, but I have a better friendship with God because I remain soft-hearted and tender towards him as life, in, in a life where sometimes nothing makes sense. See, sometimes God doesn't change our situation. Sometimes he doesn't do what we expected. Sometimes life is just too much to bear. But God shows up amidst all that chaos. And instead of changing it, he interjects hope. And we get to choose to remain soft-hearted toward him and to trust that during the chaos and the pain, 
God does care. God does see us, and God is aware. And when we're in that place of trust, we can find peace, and we can move toward God, which leads to our third point. Remember that God is with us. God's with us. In the Old Testament book of Judges, chapter 6, um, there's an account of someone who challenged God about a seeming lack of presence. Now, for seven years, the Israelites was under constant invasion from the Midianites, and that resulted in the loss of crops and cattle. And desperate to provide for his family, Gideon was hiding in a wine press threshing wheat. Now, I've got a picture of a wine press so we know what he's in. It's coming up. There. So, see that big puka in the ground? So, he's hiding in something like that. And to thresh wheat, he's sitting in there and he's beating the grains off of the um, stalk. Then he picks the grain up and he's throwing it in the air so the wind will catch the unneeded chaff and blow it away and he'll have just the um, grain. Now, doing something like that, you normally wouldn't do in a hole because you need the wind. But he's in there and he's hiding. Because the Midianites always come and take all their food. We can put that down. They're always coming and they're taking their food and they have nothing left. So he's hiding in a wine press so that he can provide for his family. And he's hiding in the wine press so that he's not seen. Except Gideon was seen. And once again, we find that the angel of the Lord appears to someone who is disenfranchised, unimportant, and not seen. And in Gideon, it says, the angel of the, I mean, Gideon, in Judges, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of Oprah that belonged to Josiah, Joash the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, first off, Gideon is hiding in a hole in the ground. He's in a winepress. He doesn't look like a mighty warrior. But when God looked at Gideon, he saw something in Gideon that Gideon did not see in himself. And he says to a mighty warrior. And after this greeting, Gideon challenges the angel. Pardon me, my Lord. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. And there it is. If the Lord is with us, then why is all this going on? Why is this happening? God has abandoned us. But the angel of the Lord is undeterred by Gideon's question. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? See, the angel of the Lord tells Gideon, you're stronger than you realize, and you have strength to tap into. I'm sending you. My calling is your strength. And so Gideon replies, pardon me, my Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. So he's saying, hey, you got the wrong guy. I'm the weakest link in the weakest link. He's unsure. He tells the angel, wrong guy, wrong person. But the Lord answers, I will be with you. I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Well, once again, the Lord doesn't promise to change anything. All he's promising is his presence. I will be with you. See, God wasn't deterred by Gideon's perspective. He simply promised to be with him. Gideon is not the only one who experiences that moment where God says, I will be with you. I'm not changing anything, but I'm going to go with you. Moses when God tells Moses, you go to Pharaoh and you tell him, let my people go. Moses says, who am I? He tried telling God, 
I'm not the guy. I can't go to Pharaoh and say, let God's people go. Exodus 3, 11, 12. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. That's it. Not I'm changing anything. I will be with you. Same thing with Jeremiah. God appears to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah tries telling God, I'm too young. I can't go to these people and say anything. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said. I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. See, I felt like Gideon, Moses, and Jeremiah. There have been many moments in my life where I felt unqualified, unable, incapable. There have been, and will probably again, be times when I question God's presence or calling. However, God has a habit of answering people's doubts and fears by promising his presence. He didn't promise Moses, Gideon, or Jeremiah that he was going to change anything. He simply promised to be there, to be present, and to be with them. And that's the same promise he makes to us. He may not change our circumstances, but he will be with us in the midst of them. He said to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So when we wonder where God is, he's right there. He's holding our hand, and he's walking with us. You know, several years ago, my husband and I went to the mainland to a conference, and we had some free time. <clears throat> so we went to a maze, because, you know, we should go to a maze when you're claustrophobic, which I am. So we go to this maze. I'm a little bit on the claustrophobic side, and I'm also a bit of a control freak. And the maze is not your typical maze. It's mirrors and lights. That was a brilliant move on my part to want to go into a maze that's mirrors and lights. So we walk through the maze, and because it's mirrors and lights, and you know how mirrors are when they're reflecting on each other, everything looks like, oh, it's open, and then you go, poof. And I'd walk, and go, poof. And I'd walk again, and poof. And finally, I freaked out. I, like, literally freaked out. I probably said some colorful words. I was less of a Christian then. And I said to my husband, you need to get me out of here. This is not going to be good. And all he did was grab my hand and start walking through the maze. And he got me out of there. I was relieved. And I think, that's a picture of God's presence and his care for us. We're going to hit our nose up on something. We're going to bump into things. We're going to hit chaos. We're going to hit trials. We're going to hit COVID. We're going to hit fire. We're going to hit whatever. And we're going to be like, what is going on? And God is right there holding our hand. And he's walking out with us. So we question God, where are you? But the answer is that he's always near. He's always with us. He is present to uphold us and lead us through every situation. I'm going to close with this verse. And it's from Isaiah 43. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. See, when we feel overwhelmed, out of control, when we start to move away from God and question, where are you? He guides us by the hand, and he walks us through. So the next time we ask, God, where are you? Don't move away from him. Use it as a question to draw closer 
and to press in and trust that he's always with you. Would you bow your heads and let's pray. Abba Father, thank you so much. Thank you that you never leave us alone, that we don't have to walk through anything on our own, that when we look at what's going on around us, there is nothing to fear because you are with us and you've promised your presence. You've promised that you will never leave us or forsake us, that you will hold us by the right hand. And so, Lord God, would you teach us and remind us that in those moments when we're frightened, in those moments when we wonder if you see us, to remember Hagar, to remember Gideon, and to know that you sought after people that others didn't pay attention to. You sought those that didn't feel accepted or loved, that didn't feel like they were a part of it. You sought them and you drew them. That when Adam and Eve chose to turn away from you and then in their shame they were hiding, that you looked for them because you wanted to be with them. And remind us, God, that you do the same with us, that you want to be with us, that you seek us, that you say to us, call out to me and I will answer. Seek me while I may be found. So Lord God, as we sit here tonight and as we go about our business and as we go out into the world, may we be a people who knows where you are, who knows where we are, that we are in your presence. And when we walk out in the world, may we walk with confidence and boldness, bringing your presence into everything that we do. We love you, Lord. We praise you and we bless you in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen.